I'm Mario Munoz reporting for the Rio Grande Guardian International News Service. According to Senator John Cornyn, the National Coronavirus Response Plan is multifaceted as opposed to a single plan that covers all 330 million Americans. On August 11th, Senator Cornyn spoke to a roundtable of Rio Grande Valley leaders in Harlingen at the UT Rio Grande Valley Clinical Education Building. The Rio Grande Guardian International News Service has the full 90-minute audio of the Cornyn Roundtable and the question and answer session. Thank you all for being here today. And we know how extremely busy everyone is. Uh, and, and so we appreciate the fact that you've taken the time to be here to join Senator Cornyn. Uh, I think though we could all share some great information today with each other that may be helpful. And um, we wanted to start by introducing uh, the, the head of the city, our mayor, Mayor Boswell, who's going to give a few remarks. Good afternoon, and uh, Senator Cornyn, welcome to the city of Harlingen. More importantly, thank you uh, for being here in the Rio Grande Valley uh, and for your unwavering support of this region. Uh, you've always been here for us. We really do appreciate your leadership, uh, not only in the state of Texas, but in Washington. And we hope that uh, uh, you have continued success there in trying to uh, bring reason to a place that uh, sometimes is not reasonable. But we appreciate what, what you do to, to try to bring that to uh, that area. And we also want to you know, express uh, uh, on behalf of the city of Harlingen and the people here our our thanks to uh, the hospital leadership and to every uh, healthcare worker that works in our hospitals and to our first responders. We know uh, how taxing it has been for each and every one of you over the last five months. And uh, it, it's not uh, gotten, work, gotten better, it's gotten worse over uh, this period of time, although there may be a glimmer of hope uh, right now, but I just I want to thank thank them because there we know that uh, when the holidays come along, uh, you don't you don't get any rest from this. Uh, there's no there's no weekend uh, rest. There's no uh, relief uh, for you, and we really do appreciate what, what uh, you're having to go through. I know that uh, all of our leadership understands that, and we want to express our gratitude to them. Uh, as well as uh, all the other folks that are working so hard to keep uh, our businesses running, our, our cities and our municipalities running. Uh, those are difficult uh, tasks to do at a time uh, where we have the burden of this COVID-19 healthcare emergency and then have also been burdened by a recent storm and uh, the, the need to continue to prepare for the potential of additional uh, hurricanes and storms as we just enter this, uh, 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 this hurricane season. Thank you also to UTRGB uh, for the outstanding work they've done in providing testing uh, for our communities. It's just been an outstanding effort and a model effort for uh, the nation and other communities. Express our appreciation to Dean Krause and to Dr. Bailey for their leadership and doing all that work. So with that, I'll, uh, I'll quit and let somebody else talk. Thank you. Uh, and I'm now, speaking of uh, UTRGD, I'd like to ask Dr. Bailey, my boss, Dr. Bailey, to say a few words. Thank you so much. Uh, first of all, 
I want to tell you how much I appreciate all of you being here. Uh, we don't get out much these days, do we? So, uh, but but it, it's, it's very good to see all of you. Many of you I haven't seen in several months. I have not tied a tie very much in the last few months. It's hard to get used to. And I wish we were here under different circumstances, but we are here united in one cause. And that says a lot. We as a valley, when we unite behind a project, we can get it done. It was just a few years ago, before I came here, that all of you were united behind a project. And that was to bring a school of medicine here. And I think the fact that we are here and operating shows what the valley can do when it works together. And so we appreciate your ongoing support, the strong leadership of, of Dean Krause, uh, in our School of Medicine. And if there was ever a time to be grateful for a School of Medicine, this is it. None of us could have predicted that we'd be facing this pandemic this year, but I couldn't be prouder of what our School of Medicine has done to adapt and work with that. You know, testing is a critical piece of this. Our School of Medicine was fortunate to have a team of researchers who were already doing work on vector-borne diseases. You remember the Zika virus, right? So they were already they were already prepared to deal with some of these vector-borne diseases, and so they were able to quickly convert their lab into a CLIA-certified clinical lab for COVID-19 testing, and they did this very quickly in response to the issues we had here. And we set up four set testing sites: one here in Harlingen, uh, one in Edinburgh, Brownsville, and Mercedes in the Mid Valley. We partnered with all of the hospitals in the valley, uh, many of them represented here today, and other testing sites to serve as a reference laboratory. As of last Friday, we had tested uh, 45,000 samples, 45,000, with an average turnover time of 24 hours. <clears throat> so think about that. You hear horror stories of how long it takes. 24 hours was our average. And so uh, that's really the only way you can can stay ahead of managing patients. Uh, our staff, which includes graduate students, runs two shifts a day, seven days a week. We, we purchase samples, uh, we can analyze, and uh, we've gone from about 150 samples a day to about 1,200 today, and our capacity continues to grow. We thank all of you for our support there. But what we really don't stop with just testing. Contact tracing is important too. We have a contract with the state for contact tracing. Don't try to say that real fast. Uh, and so far, we've hired 191 contact tracers to do all of the tracing south of San Antonio. And our goal is to have 200 hired here pretty quickly. It's just one of the many things that we're doing and all of you are doing to, to get through this pandemic. And so we deeply appreciate everything all of you do. You know, uh, I have probably the most pleasant task of anybody today. I get to introduce Senator Cornyn. Now, Senator John Cornyn really doesn't need an introduction, and here's why. It's because he's down here a lot. We know him. I mean, and think about that. Uh, the fact that you know your senator that well, that he's here a lot, makes a huge difference. We don't have to brief him very much on issues related to the valley. He's here. He knows about it. He is literally our senator. Yeah, he's a, 
as all of you know, native San Antonio, Holmes High School, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, at Trinity University, South Texas, South Texas boy all the way. That's the <laughs> North South Texas, by the way. We it's the, the northern boundary of South Texas. So, and uh, he's done a he's done a terrific job in his time in the Senate. Uh, serving there for 18 years. Of course, he was a Texas Supreme Court Justice before that and Texas Attorney General. He's been a terrific public servant. He has a wonderful staff here. Otto Garcia and Clarissa Sanchez. Oh, raise your hands. Yeah. Clarissa is one of our graduates and she has a great person to, to learn from. Otto couldn't be better to work with. Uh, as I said, the Senator is well versed on South Texas issues. We don't have to brief him because he's here a lot and he knows about it. Uh, and so none of us were really expecting to deal with this as, as last year came to an end. But we have and we dealt with it in part well, especially in higher education because things the Senator has done. And I, I'm just going to take just a second here. The CARES Act was huge for higher education. In, in fact, it's a difference in many cases between survival and not survival. Uh, we benefited enormously from that. Senator, our students did. We, we have record enrollments right now at a time when many people are suffering. A lot of this is because the CARES money helped these students stay in school. We, we received $36 million from CARES. And without that, many of these students could not have continued their education. I can't tell you how important it was for them. And, and what I want to do is thank you on behalf of all 32,000 students. That's what we have this fall, 32,000 students. All 32,000 for everything you've done. This made a tremendous difference for us, and we appreciate it. Any way we can help you, please let us know. On behalf of UTRGV and all of us in the Valley, thank you for being here. I'll turn it over to Senator John Cornyn. Thank you. I'm going to do this for a second just to confirm that it is me. <laughs> it's good to see all of you. I'll put it back on out of respect for all of you and uh, hopefully a good example for others. Um, well, Dr. Bailey, uh, you know, thinking about this virus, I'm reminded of something somebody told me years ago. Actually, they asked me the question, but it was really a statement. He said, do you know what makes God laugh? He says, when we make plans. And I felt that uh, over and over again, that just the, the lack of predictability and control over things that we were used, to, we thought we were in control of, but we literally were, were not. Is that not working? So I think in addition to the public health and the economic consequences of this pandemic, I think if you're like me, I think we've all had this sense that, you know, I'm not in control and trying to figure out how to cope and how to adjust. I don't agree with those people that said that there is a playbook that was available to any one of us, either at the federal, the state or local level of how to deal with this, but we, we have because we really didn't have any choice. And I think because it's of the great leadership here in this room and uh, the leadership we have at the state, uh, state level. Uh, I'm proud Dr. Baylor to be part of the federal response, but primarily that was to send money uh, to 
um, the states and local jurisdictions that could actually put it to good use, including some of the local school districts, where we're just with Dr. Cavazos and some of the uh, some of the students and talking about uh, their experiences. Most of the ones that we were, I had lunch with were their parents were on the front lines, working in the hospitals. Uh, these so-called essential workers, and uh, they were they were really uh, they, and are continue to be my hero uh, for the work that they've done. So not only uh, Mayor Bo Boswell have you had to deal with this pandemic, but then a hurricane, uh, and as you alluded, it may not be the last one. But I know the the people here in the Rio Grande Valley are resilient and uh, well led and. Uh, I'm glad to be back in person. Usually uh, these days it seems like I would be talking to you over a Zoom session. And uh, we've all done a lot of Zooming and WebExing and all that sort of thing, but it's, I really like being here in person, so thank you for letting me come. Well, I just, the bottom line I wanted to convey before I sit back and listen to you, and that's really the main reason I'm here, is just to reassure you that you are not fighting this fight alone. Um, we have been, we passed four major pieces of legislation in Congress, amazingly during a, a very dysfunctional time um, in terms of our politics and getting things done. We've actually done almost everything unanimously or with overwhelming bipartisan support. Um, our current negotiations are, are testing us to whether we can maintain that or not, but uh, we're not giving up on that. But so far, uh, Dr. Bailey alluded to some of this, we sent $97 million to local health care facilities in the Valley, 133.6 million to the public schools, 4.9 million in local public housing, $68 million for local colleges and universities, $21.4 million for local public transportation, $26.4 million for local airports. And we sent $11.2 billion to the state of Texas and to uh, those jurisdictions that are 500000 and above uh, that could apply directly. And I know that's been a point of some contention uh, that I've heard from many of you about. And we are working, I hope, on a more equitable distribution formula uh, the next round. But that's what we have um, that's what we've tried to do to respond to this. Uh, I really do think that uh, together we will get through this. Um, it's tragic to see every life lost. And I know there is a lot of fear and anxiety because ordinarily we all know how to manage risk in our lives. Like I don't jump out of an airplane, I don't ride a motorcycle, uh, I don't go swimming with sharks. Um, but what's so difficult about this, I think, is the, just the, uh, the unknown. And, and thus, we're, we are all subject to being, uh, our, our fear stoked by, uh, unfortunately, by social media and things like that. But that's, uh, that really concludes what I wanted to say, and I'm mainly here, Dr. Bailey, to listen to each of you. And again, let me just express my gratitude to each of you for your leadership and for your partnership as we uh, work through this uh, pandemic. Thank you. Um, we also have with us a guest from uh, the Joint Staff of the Texas Military Department, and it's a Brigadier General Tom Schulzer, our director. It's 
discussing, uh, setting people up for, for testing, but it's, it's been, we, we've all had to change our roles a little bit and, and step in and help. So uh, our, our call center has been very successful uh, and so has the testing. Uh, as you move across the graphic, in the beginning of COVID, uh, when we were watching New York, there was a concern about having to stand up alternate care sites. That concern risen again, uh, but our engineers, the Army Corps of Engineers, went out and surveyed 115 alternate care sites that, that you all in the state wanted us to take a look at. And then finally, in the bottom, uh, we had over just about a thousand soldiers um, over several months working in food banks, trying to feed the most needy in our population. And that's been a, a very good mission. And then PPE distribution. Um, we keep the state's PPE supply in eight armories across the state. And we in the state help distribute that to, to the hospitals. Uh, Governor Abbott's facilitated over 70 million pieces of PPE just to the Rio Grande Valley alone. And then finally in the, the right corner there, again talking about new missions that we never thought we'd do, but we had nursing home disinfection teams that, that we've employed, and we've employed those 27 times in the Rio Grande Valley. Real quickly to the next page. This is our, our Title 10, our federal military support across the state. Uh, we have several units, uh, Army Urban Augmentation Medical Task Forces and Navy acute care teams and Navy rural rapid response teams spread across the state. They've conducted just about 70,000 clinical hours in 15 facilities in 10 different cities in the state. And this for the last graphic here is the Rio Grande Valley. Um, you can see where we're supporting down here. Many of you I've met before because we visit your hospitals we really appreciate the support you've given our soldiers and sailors. They, they always write back and say the hospitals and great supporters, um, and I hope we're giving good support to you all. Uh, you can see in Valley Baptist Hospital, we have a, a 64 people of a, members of an Army uh, medical unit and a 44-person Navy unit. At Harlingen Medical, we have 21 personnel from an Army unit. If you go across to McAllen Medical Center, we have an 86-person team. That's a full Army team. And same with DHR Health. We also have a National Guard ambulance strike team using two TDM donated ambulances to move uh, patients from the hospital to lower acuity nursing facilities to try to download the hospital. And then the Nano Star, we have um, two rural rapid response teams from the Navy operating. Um, with that, I'll close my comments. But again, we really enjoy working in the communities. Uh, you've embraced us, and we're going to be here as long as we need to be here. Thank you, Brigadier General. I think on behalf of everyone here, we can say thank you. Uh, to the military for the assistance that you've provided during this pandemic. It's been critical to all of these hospitals and all of the, the, the patients in the Rio Grande Valley. We greatly appreciate it. And Senator, now I'd like to um, start with our county judges. We have 
three of the four county judges here, and then we have Ms. Rose Benavides, who isn't a county judge, but could be. <laughs> she, uh, yeah, you know Rose, and Rose uh, is very involved with the Star County Industrial Foundation. She's also on the uh, Board of Trustees of STC, and uh, she is here today for Judge Vera in uh, Star County because he was under the weather. So I'm, I'm going to uh, pose the same question to each of you and allow you to share your thoughts with the Senator. Um, First of all, thank you to you, because I've, I've, every day that I turn on the news, of course, there's an update from our county judges, and we know that you're working day and night uh, to combat this pandemic in your respective counties. Um, over the, the last several weeks, I mean, we've had holidays come, and we see peaks and valleys in, uh, in, in this fight against COVID. So would you tell us, how things are today in your county compared to three to four weeks ago, and then what message do you want to convey to our senator on how he and Congress can continue to assist you in the needs that you have in your particular county? And I'll go ahead and start with you, um, Judge Cortez. Or let me start with Cameron, Cameron County. Judge Trevino. We are in Cameron County. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Senator, welcome as always. Uh, Dr. Bailey's right. Uh, we can count on you to be here. Uh, good times and bad times. And, and we certainly appreciate that. Uh, we know the value is a priority with you. By the way, I don't know if you can figure out this face mask I got on right now. The, 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 the emblem's a bit too small, but, but you, I know you and I are both Spurs fans. They started playing a little while ago. They're trying to make it into the playoffs. So, I mean, we have to have some type of other distraction at the moment. Um, I'll give you some numbers, Senator, and I know you're aware of this, but for everybody's sake. A month ago, on July the 10th, we were at approximately 3,500 cases in Cameron County. Last night, uh, we hit 16,906, so uh, almost uh, from 4,000 to 17,000 in a month. I know that uh, my friend Judge Cortez uh, and uh, Judge Guerra and Judge Vera are dealing with the same numbers on different scales, but uh, it's it's, it's a terrible situation. A month ago, we had a total of 77 total fatalities. Last night, uh, we, were, uh, we reached 378. Again, these are not numbers that we, uh, that we want to be uh, showing and, and, and promoting because it dictates, uh, unfortunately on my part, a personal failure that's something that I'll have to live with um, for those 378 people that have lost their lives here in Cameron County. And I know you feel the same way for everybody throughout the state of Texas. Um, I do want to thank the Brigadier uh, for all the resources. Governor Abbott, uh, I think I speak for the hospital administrators that uh, if he had not sent those resources that he did six, eight weeks ago, uh, I don't want to think about what would have happened both to our patients and to our hospital staff. Uh, we have unbelievable doctors and nurses and, and uh, healthcare professionals here, but thank God that they, we got some help because uh, uh, it would have been even more dire and drastic than what, than what we were facing. I don't want the public to, to think that we're past uh, this uh, pandemic. The, we are averaging in Cameron County between 300 and 350 positive cases a day. That's way too high. Back in April and May and June, uh, we were averaging between 10 and 20, 30 on a bad day. Those are the numbers that we want to be shooting for and trying to get back to, and I know the rest of the Valley wants to do that also. But we can't do that without everybody's support. 
Um, I have to mention a few things because you're here and it's my obligation to do that. And you, you yourself alluded to it earlier. You and I have had this conversation before. Um, we in Cameron County were allocated approximately five and a half million dollars through the CARES Act. And we pretty much already spent that and obligated that number here in, in a few short months. Very different numbers than my friend Judge Cortez has had to deal with. Um, but the demand is no less severe uh, with regards to our situation. So I hope that that bipartisanship that we've seen in the past few months, which it seems to have slowed down to a, tri to a trickle right now, will we'll, we'll get back to it because uh, we are in dire need. Our bridge system uh, is, is hemorrhaging about a million dollars a month, approximately. Uh, I've heard comments made by our president, but poorly run democratic states. Well, Texas has been run by Republican, and I'm not going to argue that it hasn't been run well. So I don't think that ought to be an excuse to, to not give the local governments some support regardless of their political affiliation. Uh, all of us in this country are, are, are suffering and we need help. And it's not because we've been poorly run. This morning we were dealing with our budget here in Cameron County, as I know the other ones are too. And we're trying to do everything we possibly can to make sure that uh, we cut here and there. Uh, and we, we don't raise a bit on our, on our property tax because we know our citizens can't handle that right now. They're suffering. Uh, we appreciate your efforts. I know you and I have had this discussion. And, and your staff, uh, I've told you before, your staff is second to none, and, and I know you're very, very proud of them. They stay in contact with us. Uh, Hurricane Hannah, I don't know what it is, but uh, I thought 500-year storms are only supposed to happen once every 500 years. We've had three of them now in the valley in the last three years. Uh, the, the other two were not hurricane-named, but they were just as severe uh, water-wise, if not more so. Hannah brought the wind, and. July, very early for us in the hurricane season, so we have to be ready and prepared. Governor Abbott was down a few days after after the storm hit, and we were joking about in Texas, we know how to walk and chew gum at the same time, so we can deal with a worldwide pandemic and a natural disaster at the same time. Nothing that we really want to do, though. Uh, we need help with regards to our infrastructure. Hopefully, I'm sure Commissioner Fuentes will address it. He's kind of the leaders, one of the leaders here in the Valley. I'm working on a bunch of regional water and, and infrastructure projects that we hope can get addressed here in the near future. Um, last point I guess I want to I wanna raise, and I, and I think I, I do speak for, well, two, two points. Number one is the connectivity issue. Uh, I see some of the superintendents here, uh, I've been working with them. They're very concerned, obviously, Senator, with regards to the reopening of the schools, and I, I defer to them. They've asked for my help, and I've tried to provide them uh, whatever assistance I can do that. Uh, I don't believe that right now with the numbers being what they are, uh, that at least in Cameron County, we should be forcing a uh, in-person training or, or reopening of the schools, but I leave that up to the educators. The problem that we did, that, that raised its head in, in spring when, when the pandemic first hit was we realized, well, it confirmed that uh, our lack of connectivity, uh, Wi-Fi, broadband access to our, to our students and our, and our citizens at large was woefully lacking. Uh, we know that the CARES Act was supposed to uh, address some of this, um, but for example, in Brownsville, 55% of the students don't have connectivity in Los Fresnos, 30% don't. Uh, I know Dr. Arden is here, he can probably give you the number for Harlingen. Uh, the state has funds available, but the school district need that 20%. Well, right now that 20% is just not disposable to them and available to them, so we hope that you can support us in that endeavor in whichever way you can. Uh, 
but that's that's that that was one of the last issues. The last one I need to mention is the census. We're going to be dealing with the aftermath of the results of this census for the next 10 years. And I saw a statistic yesterday uh, that was sent to us from a census uh, regional director out of Dallas. And uh, I didn't realize Cameron County 10 years ago had, a, I think, a 73% response rate, which I was pleasantly surprised with. We're at 47, 48%. It all goes a point above us. Uh, but the rest of the state was in that same dilemma, or, or has the same dilemma now and as they did 10 years ago. They all were in the 60 to 70, 80% rate. They're all in the 40s and 50s right now. So cutting it back from uh, the end of October to the end of September really, really creates uh, a, a, a dilemma and a situation that none of us are going to benefit from. The last thing we would want to see is for Texas as a whole to lose representation in Washington. Last thing we want to see is Texas losing its access to federal dollars as a state. And if these numbers hold true, and there's another state that is being uh, more proactive or more responsive, we're going to lose, and this is something we can't fix. So I would, I would respectfully ask that you do whatever you can to, to, to try to get us back to that October deadline. At least that's another month. All of the best laid plans we had, as you mentioned earlier, that got laughing, we had everything ready for the census and then Mother Nature and the, and the pandemic hit. Completely destroyed any of our abilities for, for community outreach with our school districts, with our local officials, with our parents, with our community organization, with our church organization, with our churches and our church-based organizations. Everything that could go wrong as far as making the census be a failure has happened to us. So we need everybody's help and assistance. It, it's, it's concerning to me because I know the Valley as a whole has been undercounted for decades. And, uh, it concerned me because the numbers could be even worse this 2020 than it was in 2010. And you and I, everybody here knows the valley hasn't gotten any smaller in the last 10 years. Quite the opposite. So any help in that endeavor, along with everything else that you do for us, obviously we appreciate it. And, and again, thank you so much for being here today. And uh, go Spurs go. Thanks, Judge Sardinio. And here on behalf of Hidalgo County, we have our county judge, Richard Cortez, and also Commissioner David Fuentes, who, as was mentioned by Judge Sardinio, has been very proactive on infrastructure needs in Hidalgo County. So, um, Judge, you want to start? Sure. Well, Senator, welcome, and thank you for being here. And always, you know, wanting to hear from us and what our needs are. And we, we can always count on John Corden. Thank you for that. And uh, President Bailey, thank you for hosting us here in your facility. And, Mayor Boswell in your city and Judge Savino in your county. I'll try to be as brief as I can. I, I, I want to talk about basically three categories, identification, isolation, and treatment. You ask, how do we compare now to a month ago? It's a disaster. We cannot continue in that path. We must take action. To date, we had 117,419 tests, of which 20,148 were positive. If I did my math correctly, that's about a 17.2% positive rate to people tested. So what action do, do we need to take and where do we need, need, need your help, or anybody's help for that matter? Number one, it's important that we identify people, and even though the, the, the medical school, which we love, and I, I, I can't imagine us not having the medical school here, here in our area without their testing. 
at, 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 at the onset of this thing, the disaster would be, it would be greater. But if you all average 24 hours return, that's amazing. I can live with that. But there are many, many times that private tested and state tested that it would take three days, four days, five days, six days. That, that simply is, is not acceptable because some of these people are asymptomatic. They go back to work. They go back to families. It's, it's too late. So we definitely need testing. We need rapid, rapid testing. Also, we need testing for somebody to be able to go to somebody's home. We have uh, one third of the people that live in the Dallas County, and, and we're at least a million people. And I, I think close to 300,000, 350,000 of them live in the rural areas. Some live in three generational homes, which I'll talk about in a minute. So that means that some are elderly. And, so, and, and if you look at statistics, 74% of the people's income in the rural areas go to housing and transportation. So transportation is an issue for them. And I'm going to let the hospitals talk about that because part of our problem in our death rate is we have so many people in poverty, so many people are uninsured, that they wait too long to go get treated, and then something, something bad happens. Maybe, maybe I'll get confirmation on that. So identification is extremely important. Having access to testing at home for the elderly is extremely important. Then where do we go from there? Well, we need, we need isolation. I've mentioned already the three-generational homes. If you're in a three-generational home, you're not in a gated community. You're in a small home, and it'd be very difficult for you to have social distance, physical distance. And a lot of them really don't know how to manage the disease. So I think if we were able to, 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 to separate either the person that's been tested positive, get them out of that environment, or, or at least the most vulnerable people out of that environment, it's going to help us look, slow, this, uh, slow this spread. Treatment. Uh, as you know, we've been speaking to all the hospital administrators you know, throughout the years, and we we were really in a very dangerous point not, not too long ago because we, we, we were at capacity or near capacity. And when you ask the hospitals, and I'm going to let them speak for themselves, the needs, the needs are varying needs. Some, need, some needed more acute care room, some needed more convalescent room, but, but the point is that, that the need was, was, was in, both, in both areas. But we must do something about getting the patients to the hospitals for treatment earlier. If, at least that's some of the information, some of the information that I'm getting. When I look at Labor Day coming and the schools opening again, that gives me a lot of concern. If we cannot address identification and be more efficient, isolation and be more efficient, and treatment and be more efficient, and we're going to in August or September, is going to be worse than July. So your help is greatly needed, and we would appreciate it. Thanks, Judge. Uh, Senator Cornyn, thank you again for making time to come visit our area. Most especially, thank you to your staff for always being so cordial, welcoming, and supportive during all the different uh, issues that we've gone through locally here. Uh, Anna and Glaze are fantastic representatives of your office, so thank you to, to them for always including us in, in your visits. And uh, Judge Cortez, we're mentioning UTRGV as a partner. 
in our testing for all of our Hidalgo County residents. We are very, very appreciative of that partnership and also to our healthcare partners who actually deliver the services that are needed and doing everything they can to protect our communities. We, are, we couldn't say enough about all of these partnerships between all the people we just mentioned as well as to our National Guard and all the people that assisted us and right now assisting us with our FEMA individual assistance um, uh, assessments because we're trying to make sure that we get the appropriate people counted uh, for the damage models that may lead to FEMA's assistance in the recovery stage. As Judge uh, Trevino mentioned, you know, it's not just that we have to go through the COVID-19, but then we have to endure uh, the damage of, the, of a hurricane. And if we could have drawn this up in a worst case scenario, I think that's exactly the pathway that it took. I think it hit the, the places that have been inundated with the water over the last two storms that we've had in 18 and 19. And I think it also went through the most vulnerable areas. And if dealing with the recovery and the uh, assessments isn't hard enough after a hurricane, you add the COVID situation on top of it, it makes it even uh, more uh, difficult. We've been dewatering certain areas in our, in our precinct and in our county for the last two weeks. We, on Sunday, ceased operations with external uh, assistance and now we're just doing it ourselves, but that's two weeks. Two weeks of having to run pumps and MOVAC units for the purposes of people, people being able to just get out of their homes. So you add on top of that, some of these people have to go to dialysis treatment, some people are having to deal with the COVID effects, and they don't have a way or a means of, of getting out of their homes themselves. I think that, that our systems were working. The IBWC gates were, were open at all times. Uh, our pumping structures were working uh, appropriately and correctly, and we're still dealing with people flooding two weeks later. Uh, so I think that that goes back to the two visits that you had with us in the last couple of years. I want to again thank you for coming to our office. You toured the facilities. You saw what exactly we're having to deal with. You also, a few months later, welcomed us with Chairman Buck uh, over in McAllen to talk about lots of situations and infrastructure being one of them. So we thank you for that. You also helped fund $10 million uh, to the IBWC after that visit uh, for critical response. So we are truly, truly grateful for that. Um, and all the other things that you've done to advocate for us, urban uh, housing and urban development, you've really pushed hard for disaster recovery to come more expeditiously because we can't wait five, six years to get this infrastructure in place. And I know that you sent a letter over to them encouraging them to get this money out as quickly as possible. So I'd encourage you to please uh, go back and revisit that because I think that this disaster recovery is going to be even more important. And another way that we can get funding into the counties and to our drainage districts to try to relieve a lot of that stress. It's really hurtful when we find people that are deceased in their homes because they couldn't get out or they couldn't go to a hotel and they either didn't have a way to get out or they didn't have the means to get out. So we're trying to, to again, find solutions and improve the quality of life and that infrastructure is critical for that. Uh, we'd like to, uh, you know, right now we're going through the virtual assessment of individual assistance or uh, individual assistance relief with TDEM and FEMA, and we thank you for that again. Uh, but uh, the one thing that I guess that would be new to this conversation is the is the discussion of WERDA in the federal government floor right now. 
It is extremely important that we try to work on the improvements to the Raymondville Dream, and that's going to have a direct and indirect impact on all of us here in the Rio Grande Valley because it affects Hidalgo County, Cameron County, and most especially Willisie County. So having to manage and navigate all of those pathways for water to get out of here as quickly as possible, that discussion about WARDA right now is probably one of the most important discussions that you're going to have uh, this before the end of the year. So we, uh, again, appreciate all of the things that you've done uh, to help us, and we just ask that you consider continue to consider those things as they move forward along uh, in your offices. Thank you, Senator. Those drainage projects are at the top of my list on the reauthorization of the Water Resources Development Act. We're working with the Corps of Engineers and, and also uh, to get those projects uh, authorized. So I hear you loud and clear. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, Senator. Uh, Dr. Bailey, uh, Veronica, and, and Ana Maria, thank you so much for allowing us to, to, uh, to be here today to join you. I am not Judge Vera, but he does send his regards. He was unfortunately unable to join us. But he asked that I relay a message uh, to you of, uh, of hope and a message of, of great distress. Uh, our community back in March began as an example of what a small rural community can mean to this country when you leverage private-public partnerships. We were the first South of San Antonio to set up a drive-through testing lab. We were the first to maintain our uh, positive results up until the month of May to uh, under 50. Uh, you fast forward to the third quarter of this year, and um, it's a totally different story. We are currently seeing uh, just between uh, the uh, first, the second quarter, and and the July and August, a 270 percent increase in our positive testing. And uh, we do want to thank the National Guard, uh, Governor Abbott, for allowing us very much needed resources uh, to come assist an overwhelmed hospital and more importantly to provide us with testing uh, that has made um, this, uh, uh, this pandemic even more uh, prevalent, not because there's more testing, but because we're able to identify that there's more people that are infected. And so as we sit here, we know uh, that the biggest struggle we have uh, is how to fund the initiatives that we have tried to establish to mitigate the virus. And you alluded to this earlier, Senator, and, and we do want to thank you for working hard to potential, potentially mitigate the situation of, of how we're receiving some of those CARES Act dollars. Uh, uh, we have struggled uh, to meet the 20%, but more importantly, to grab from our operation budget to be able to fund any of these initiatives and then have to wait for reimbursement. So anything that you can continue to do for it would be extremely helpful. Uh, and that was one of the major priorities that Judge Vera asked us to talk about. I do also, though, want to remind everyone that as we sit here and talk about these dollars, we talk about testing. Uh, at the end of the day, the initiatives here are all about saving lives. And there's hundreds of people, friends, families, and loved ones that we've lost. Uh, in the last few months, and we sit here knowing that they don't have a voice, but to be their voice. To be able to remind everyone that every decision that we make has to be based on, on how to prevent further death. And while money may not be the answer to all of these issues, unfortunately the resources that we're lacking and the funding that we're needing is specifically 
a, has a, a specific direct impact in how we are able to address this need. So we'd ask you to please help us um, ensure that we can have some of those dollars come. Now, I also want to talk about how this crisis also presents opportunities. I sit on the South Texas College Board, and we know that as we are looking at not just COVID response, but recovery, workforce development, and the availability of short-term certification for a quick turnaround for people to return to the job force is going to be very necessary. So we'd ask that as we're looking at future funding for higher education, we take a direct look at how we can also shore up workforce development and get those dollars to go into areas that are uh, labor intensive, uh, continue to fund academic. We're glad to see all those dollars flow into our, uh, into our community, into our medical school, and into our colleges and universities. But we also know that there is an opportunity to innovate and adapt, but we can only do that if we're able to train people to go to jobs that are gonna be available in a market that is continually seeing challenges. Um, so as we move forward, we understand that there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, already in the month of August, uh, we are uh, matching in 11 days, uh, we're about 100 te uh, positive tests shy of what the whole month of July showed for us. So we know that July and September, as schools are reopening potentially, uh, we would also ask the same. Uh, in situations where we have such hotspots like our, the Rio Grande Valley in our community, that they continue to give us the opportunity to work with the local officials who know very well that right now face-to-face -face instruction could continue to be disastrous and face a much bigger challenge for communities that are already dealing uh, with a horrid result of, of COVID. So thank you again for everything you do, Senator. Uh, we know that these are priorities for you. We know that you're going to take these interests and, um, and assist us in any way that you can. And we look forward to collaborating with you to make that happen. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for being here, uh, Senator Coins. And I agree with the judges and the county representatives Commissioner Fuentes, uh, and they touch bases in all the different areas. Uh, I want to give you a small example as to what we went through having to do with the virus and the hurricane at the same time. And we started having these conferences with uh, mayors and law enforcement since back in March. So we have them every other day. But I think this is important for you to take back as you're driving back or on the plane that when, when there's a hurricane coming here in the valley, the first things that we kind of talk about is sandbags. And this is very insignificant, but I think it's very important. So, so we get to the first step of this so-called storm at that time coming. And so we look at how are we gonna, in a small county like ours, we don't have the resources to have employees fill sandbags to give to the public. So they actually fill them themselves. Okay, so wait a minute. So we're in the middle of this pandemic. You're going to be heavy breathing. Typically, we have piles of sand. So all of a sudden, we were in a dilemma before the hurricane got here. So we came out with the idea of having a long uh, pile from here to where the uh, military officer is so that people can social distance. Right? So here comes this hurricane, right? That was the beginning. 
So then the shelter, right? Are we going to have a shelter? Well, we're in the middle of a pandemic. How are we going to know whether there's uh, individuals that have the virus and the ones that don't? And when the dust settles after the hurricane, uh, we're going to have we're going to be contributing to this virus. Luckily, the decision was not to open it based on the amount of damage that we had, so it worked out. But I think this is important for the smaller counties as to what we go through in order to accommodate the urgency that we have in front of us. I want to bring up uh, the methodology that's used for whether or not FEMA uh, can help us out. I don't, I think there's something that we can do to be able to help smaller counties that operate on a $7.8 million budget, who's gonna go out for bids to see how we can pick up all this brush and not knowing how much of that is gonna bite into the budget. And so to be able to be able to be helped, we need to meet a threshold of 37 million, right? And my need, it includes 22 counties, is what I'm told, based on, on that uh, information we got for that particular event. But if the hurricane hit Willisie County, which it did, and our devastation is lesser in numbers, but it's a higher amount a percentage of cost and expense that was unforeseen is, and we're relying on the total damage to be at 37 million, uh, it's very hard for that to happen. So I think that that needs to be revisited and, and, uh, and be able to trigger FEMA helping us uh, in, in, in general. In a small community, our biggest hurdle, getting back to the virus, is the opening of schools. Uh, typically, the schools are the biggest employers in the small community, and they contribute to the jobs and the local economy. Now, that compiled with the fact that children are the most pr uh, precious commodity that we have, or the most precious uh, uh, assets that we have or that we look at as, as a family is going to be uh, a challenge for us, and it's a challenge. So uh, what, I'm, what I'm asking uh, is that we consider, and this is aside from the medical uh, uh, field, because I know that the medical field is where uh, people have sacrificed including doctors and, and just everybody. But secondary to that is going to be our educators. And so that we, and I looked at the charts up there as so to how much schools are getting and so forth, is that in small communities, the schools play a big role in everything. So that, uh, that's what I have to say. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Judge. And I know we have so many people that need to comment and we only have about 15 minutes so 
Let me just ask you a quick question, Dr. Cross, and then I'm going to turn it over to the CEOs. We've heard a lot about t uh, testing and the wonderful work the medical school has done, as well as others, in trying to make sure that people are, are having access to tests. Um, is it important to continue testing? Should we ramp it up? Uh, and then what goes along with it that we absolutely have to do in order to, um, to protect our communities? Well, thank you, Veronica. Senator, thank you for coming down. It's so important to have you here, and we welcome you. Always, always good to see you. Um, we can't let up on testing. I mean, testing is the way we really get a pulse on the level of the disease in the community. So we find that in the last several weeks, our positive rate has been about 35%. So one in three people who come into our testing centers are positive for the disease. So that's important because it gives us a handle on how common this is. But testing without contact tracing is ineffective. And what we really need to be able to do is act quickly on all of those people who are identified through our testing process. That's why maintaining a 24-hour turnaround, which is what we do, is so critical. And then being able to hand those off to people who can trace the contacts that that individual had will allow us then to isolate and provide the appropriate guidance for them. So really for us to keep this disease under control, and it will wax and wane, we know that, that this likely is not going to be an isolated peak that we've had. We need to have a system in place so that whenever people test positive, we can identify all of those individuals they've come into contact with and take them out of circulation put them into self-isolation, identify them if they become symptomatic early and get them into treatment early. So it's going to be very important for us to continue. We plan to continue. We have been uh, testing now about 1,200 people a day, and we have tested all along without any consideration of whether anyone has the ability to pay or not. It's irrelevant to us as we get moving here, and we really want to continue our role in testing and trying to keep this disease as well under control as we can. Thank you, Dr. Krauss. I'd now like to turn it over to uh, Manny Bella with uh, Valley Baptist. And Manny, I know that uh, y'all look at a lot of different indicators, uh, hospitalizations being one. And a few weeks ago, we were at the peak of uh, hospitals being full here in the Rio Grande Valley. What's it like today? Uh, also, do you have the, the staffing that you need? I know we had some nurses come down. I know that's been critical to you. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that and then also what you're seeing in terms of are we getting better at treating uh, COVID and the recovery that's happening? Veronica, good afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, obviously, we're honored to be here. It's always special being your house guy. And thank you for the partnership and everything y'all have done to help us fight the, the virus. Senator, it's always good to see you. I had to smile when you say you don't, you're risk averse and don't swim with the sharks. My God, you live and work in Washington, D.C., so. so just I guess I am swimming with the sharks. <laughs> don't let them catch you, please. So we've been, we are in a heck of a fight. And notice it's not past tense, it's present. This is our seventh week of very intense incident command meeting multiple times a day, getting on the phone call with everybody you see at this table, all in an effort to, to collectively and collaborate, collaboratively uh, to fight the COVID virus. Uh, I, I can tell you, as, as, uh, as folks have already indicated, what we're seeing is somewhat of a decline in regards to our admissions on the COVID med search side. Slightly less of a decline on the ICU side, but, but nonetheless a decline. I don't think anybody here is willing to say we have a trend. I would dare say we're all gun shy because we fully recognize how quickly and exponentially the virus grew 
and, and hit a square, square devil on the head as a, as a pure crisis. I can also tell you this, even though we've seen a decline on the way up when we were at these numbers, it was pure crisis management, right? Uh, the point being that even though we're, we plateaued high, uh, probably much higher than many other places in the country, and so to the judge's point, we're far, far, far away from having resolved this issue, and I do think also that this will, we'll see this continue throughout the year. Uh, Veronica asked a good, good question. The, the, the reality is, but for the strike force personnel in general, the military teams that came down, uh, Eddie's right. We were in pure crisis mode, stretched to the limit. Uh, I'm not so sure what would have happened. Now, a credit to our teams, which by the way, we work with the most phenomenal teams in the world. A credit to them. They maintain their resolve, they maintain their character, they maintain their commitment, they never, never broke. However, an amazing uh, level of gratitude for the help that we received with the strike force in the military. But for that, there would have been many more lives lost. So to Veronica's point, absolutely, what we have seen is many more lives saved. Many people have come out of this uh, ravaged, but, but alive because of the efforts of everybody at this table, the efforts at this, through the state supported strike force and the DOD, et cetera. In general, I gotta tell you, Captain uh, Blankenbaker and Colonel Lee are phenomenal. Uh, the general was in my shop last week. I got to tell you real quick, when, when the Navy first arrived, I, I used the phrase, the cavalry has come, and then it dawned on me, that's not the Navy. They quickly they basically said, the Armada has arrived to help us. But, but, but the reality is, you won't, you won't hear anything but gratitude and thanks for the help that we've received. I'll also tell you this, that the public-private partnerships that this group right here has established have been nothing short of phenomenal. We are on daily calls with the counties. We're on daily calls with the cities. The school districts, Dr. Pavas, with my daughter Brown here from the Harlingen School District, the San Diego School District, the South Texas Independent School District, the VA have all kicked in in regards to offering support through this crisis. And I would expect we're going to be at the table for the balance of this crisis. But that's the way we've gotten to this point. Nobody's panicked. Enormous resolve, enormous collaboration to help meet the needs of our community. So I'll sort of end with this with a couple of asks, right? Because I'm sure that's what you're here for. One ask is continued staffing support for the duration, right? Our fear is that if, if the, the support is withdrawn prematurely and another surge occurs, then, then we will we'll be right back in major crises mode. We're going to try to avoid that at all costs. The other ask is this. I think it's a little simpler. The, the reality is the vast majority of our population is now adhering to the best practices. And I think that's why you see the declines that we've seen, right? I, I think everybody's been incredibly well attended when we were on the call with the governor the other day. The reality is the governor gave people an inch and they took a mile. It's human nature, unfortunately. But what, I, what we really need is folks such as yourself in leadership roles to distress how important it is for our entire community to, to take hold of the best practices and help us. We don't want to get back to where we were. And it won't take much. Labor Day's around the corner. That's been referenced. I, quite honestly, we still go up when we're at the grocery store. We still see people who are not adhering to best practices. But I, I would ask, in your leadership position or role, people listen to you. Uh, please urge people to, to, to follow the best practices that our clinical experts have given to us uh, as a gift. We just need to adhere to those things. Uh, lastly, uh, I'll, I will finish with this. 
I could not be more honored or more proud to be in, the, in this fight with the group of people in this room and the people who aren't here today and are collaborating with us on a daily basis. Our teams are nothing short of phenomenal. They're human beings, right? I would, I would think that uh, a nice word of thanks from you, not only in regards to healthcare essential folks, but people at the grocery stores, the truckers who are bringing the all those folks, everybody's participating on this deal. And I think you'd be proud as one of the leaders of this state, the, 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 the efforts we've made and the nice positive uh, repercussions of all those efforts. So I appreciate your time as always. Thanks, Brandy. Thank you. Dr. Robert Martinez from DHR. Hello. Uh, thanks again, uh, Senator, for coming. I, uh, on behalf of DHR Health and, and really our county and our South Texas, we want to tell you how appreciative we are of all the efforts um, that have been involved, you and your staff and, and leadership, um, including yourself and Texas leadership. Um, I couldn't agree more with, uh, with Manny here. I think the communities come together nicely um, to be able to make sure that both counties in particular are functioning together, working together regionally. Health Park County, Health Willis County, wherever we can. I think right now is particularly, I think if I had one message, right now is a particularly vulnerable time for our community um, in that we have to make sure that we understand what's going on with our community and that we have certain setbacks that other communities do not. And I think some of the evidence there is the, the significant and deadly spike that we had in conversion of tests to positive cases was over 25%. And that shows you what can happen when things get out of control quickly and they spiral. Um, at DHR, we moved as fast as we could. We, we ran into people power uh, issues. And, you know, stuff starts to suffer then. Um, and people get fatigued. So uh, having the staff both at the local and federal level, um, certainly the military from the Texas and, and the national contingent was a tremendous help. I can tell you some morale booster tremendously. Uh, we were very appreciative of that, and we were really, really at that point where, uh, had that not come, there would have been some significant issues, significant issues, I could tell you. Um, so we really appreciate that from, from, from our point of view, and, and South Texas does. Um, the other important thing is, one of, the, one of the biggest milestones I think was important for us is testing. Um, you were very helpful when it was um, testing. We had testing issues. Uh, very important from, from different distributors. Cepheid is one of our, our companies. There were a lot of other hotspots. I hate to be selfish. There was a lot of other hotspots in Houston, Dallas, other you know, around the country. South Texas, we could see we could see the fire was starting, um, but we couldn't do anything to, to help that fire along and keep it from from blazing out of control. We were having trouble getting those testing kits. And for instance, the, the issue here is bed capacity. When it took seven to ten days for me to be able to clear a bed, it was a problem. As soon as we got help and got those tests down here, having a two-hour, one-day turnaround did dramatic things for my, my ability to care for more patients. And so, again, uh, I want to thank you for, for helping us stay on the map, be able to get the supplies and the help that we need. We're very appreciative. Um, we work together. I know uh, the county judge over at uh, Cameron County helped us when we had an initiative with plasma. Uh, plasma works, and it works well, but we were having trouble getting donations. Um, and so we saw that and worked with them well. Um, and I'm glad to report we're not where we need to be, but, but we're much better. Uh, plasma saves lives, and, and again, I think we're, we're willing to work. Uh, just we hope that uh, we continue to stay on the map until we're hopefully out of this uh, the woods here uh, over the next couple of months. Thanks again. Thank you. And we have also Ms. Chris Rivera with Rio Grande Regional. Thank you, Veronica. 
Senator, thank you so much for being here. And I want to thank everyone that organizes this event. It's important for us to have a venue to be in front of you and share with you some of our thoughts. Um, I, my hospital, Rio Grande Regional Hospital, located in McAllen, is affiliated with HCA. And uh, that's a national uh, health care system. And even though as large as the system is, uh, COVID-19 really has, did throw us for a loop. Uh, it is a pandemic that no one expected. It's a highly communicable disease that impacts individuals very acutely. Uh, matter of fact, I don't want to diminish what has already been discussed regarding the hurricane, but within our hospital, we practically celebrated that we were having a hurricane because we're used to, to taking care of that. We're used to those type of disasters, and they're very short-term disasters. This COVID-19 is a marathon. It, has, it continues uh, for the long, long, long term. Matter of fact, we've discussed having to learn how to live in a COVID world because it's not going to go away, unfortunately. We just need to find a way to be able to mitigate it and be able to uh, manage it. Uh, I, as everyone has mentioned, uh, the, the statistics, uh, the, the deaths uh, what ha that have occurred, I don't want to repeat that. What I do want to share with you is the fact that we are saving lives here. All of us in the healthcare system are dedicated to doing that. We're all working collaboratively. All the health systems in the Rio Grande Valley are working collaboratively for the same cause, uh, to save lives. And we are very resilient, and we have a lot of hope that we will be able to do that. We just need a little bit of help. And so anything that you can do from a financial standpoint to be able to help the people of the Rio Grande Valley, we would very much appreciate it. And I know in the interest of time, I will conclude by thanking you again, Senator. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Matt, we'll talk with Harlingen Medical Center. Hey, thank you. Good afternoon, Senator. Thank you for being here. Thank you for including me. Uh, you know, I want to just kind of uh, piggyback on what Chris said in terms of, you know, kind of a message of hope. I, I think if you if you look at at all of our um, all the health systems social media pages, you will find stories and and see uh, videos of survivors and and you know and, and our staff and more importantly, I think our staff celebrating uh, those survivors, and I think that's what gives all of us hope, and, and our staff need it right now. Our, our, um, you know, it's, it's been in incredibly emotionally taxing on our staff to continue to take care of pa uh, patients. You know, they come in that, where they are mildly acute, and then they progressively get worse, and then when they, they, they develop relationships with these, with these patients, they're, you know, they're in our hospitals for weeks, and once they're intubated and go on a ventilator, we know what the odds are. They're, they're, you know, it's, it's, it's very, very close to a death sentence. And so, the few that have been extubated and, and survived and come, come out, I think there's some really good stories out there. And, and, and it's a tribute to our staff and our teams who are, who are like Chris said, saving lives. Uh, and, and, it, and like I said, it's been incredibly emotionally taxing on, on our staff. And so, I think it's important to just reiterate what my colleagues have said about. Uh, keeping the additional resources in place and staffing because not only through the pandemic but through the recovery phase, you know, our, our teams are going to need time to recover. And, uh, and so I think it's really important, again, to keep those, those resources in place. 
And, and just to, to kind of give you a perspective from my hospital, I mean, we're, you know, we're 112 uh, licensed bed. We had, we started out with 10 uh, ICU beds, licensed ICU beds. And, and you know, we're, we've far exceeded that in terms of we're now at, at 14 ICU beds just dedicated to COVID and an entirely separate ICU for our non-COVID patients. Um, and and these, these patients, is, as you know, are, are incredibly resource intense. So we were just not set up to, to, to take care of the you know, 70 and 80 uh, COVID patients that are in our hospital day to day. And so those resources were critical. I mean, they, you just, and all, all three of my colleagues have, have mentioned it, but we would not have been able to sustain operations without both the strike force team from the state and the DOD team, and we're grateful. Uh, so, so most importantly, thank you. But, but we, we just want to, I want to reiterate that we've got to keep those, those resources in place. So thank you very much. I, I appreciate you including me on this uh, roundtable. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, and I, and I apologize that we're running so low on time. We have about a minute for each, um, but Todd, you want to you go next? Uh, Todd Mann with South Texas Health Systems. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, uh, Mr. Lawn. There you go. Uh, thank you, Senator, for being here, and thank you, General uh, Dr. Bailey. I, I'll just really step on one point here that is absolutely critical and that is the resources you guys have provided. It absolutely, out of our five hospitals located in Hidalgo and Edinburgh, we were overrun uh, with patients. So we have about 800 beds and nearly all of those were maxed out. And what I, what I would just encourage you to understand is let's not watch a trend of seven days of declining COVID and start talking about demobilization. And we're already hearing that. And so that keeps me up at night because as Judge Cortez said, we know whether it's a surge of COVID or patients that have not sought treatment desperately needed over the course of time because they're afraid to access our ERs. And so there's the CHF, their diabetes are uncontrolled. And we've already seen this surge once before. So again, if there's one thing to take away is please do not demobilize us too quickly. I've got 86 uh, military individuals in our hospital. They're like family to us, couldn't do it without them, so much appreciated. So again, 280 star nurses are in my facilities. So again, we, we can't operate without them. So again, I know that's a broken record, but again, we thank you for being here and thank you for the opportunity to speak. Thank you. Eric Garza, Valley Regional Medical Center. Very good afternoon, and uh, thank you for allowing me to be part of this discussion. A few months ago, maybe about four or five months ago, I would have greeted everyone by saying, hello, friends. But this, uh, this time has forced us to spend so much time together, it's really being with family. So welcome home, Senator <laughs> South Texas, uh, where you have a really large family that is very supportive of you. Um, I, I, I'm simple-minded, so I think in bullet points. And I'm going to leave you with three bullet points. Uh, first is stewardship. Uh, I, I want to make sure that you leave here today knowing that this group of people, this group of leaders, have done everything we can to be good stewards of the resources that you, through your leadership and this great state, has provided us. Thank you, because without those resources, as others have said, um, we would be faced with probably the lifetime of our challenge. The second bullet point is that of advocacy. Uh, thank you for your advocacy. Thank you for fighting for us in education and in infrastructure, through strategic planning, 
uh, and what's dear, near and dear to my heart, healthcare. Know that we're counting on you to push and fight for your family down in South Texas. And I trust that you'll continue to do that. And the third bullet point is the ask, my ask. My ask is simple. Please do everything that you can to ensure that the controls that we have in place that are science-based and uh, that the evidence tells us will lead to a reduction of this virus transmission do not go away. Um, it's, it's not a financial ask. It's not an ask of anything other than support the things that are going to help us keep our community alive. And they're simple things. And so I trust that you'll do all of those things. Thank you very much for your Thank time. You. Good afternoon. Last but not least, Mr. Uh, Kane Dawson with uh, Mission Regional Medical Center. Thank you, Senator and uh, Dr. Bailey, very much. Um, without the testing, we, we couldn't have done it. Uh, back in March, uh, myself and our colleagues, along uh, with uh, Judge Cortez, met as a group and, and we evaluated our capacity and what our, our abilities to handle the, the COVID patients were. And I think back about those early days where I was saying we could convert these rooms and, and see 60 patients, and then just four weeks ago, I had 180 COVID patients in my hospital. So we couldn't have done it without the staff. It's just been remarkable. The only final thought is, you know, this, this pandemic has disrupted so much of what we know, not only in the healthcare arena, but also our economy. You know, with our cross-border trade, the winter Texans that come down, I'm already hearing some hesitation that they're, they're resonant about coming back to the Valley because of what they've seen on the news. So, you know, we need to continue this partnership and really function as, as a, a greater community so that we can overcome those other obstacles which, which loom ahead of us. Thank you. And uh, I know we had a few closing remarks. We're going to be going into a press conference here, but we were fortunate to have our, our um, local doctor and board of region member, uh, Mr. Do Dr. Nolan Pettis, with us today. Nolan, you want to give a few final thoughts on what you've heard? Sure. I'll just, I'll just say just a moment of pride. I don't know if turn this on. A moment of pride. Can you hear me this? Yeah. Is, Senator, you know the complex problems require complex solutions. I'm just so very proud to be sitting at a table here with regional leaders, elected officials and hospital leaders, educators, uh, and uh, they've come together quite nicely. And this, this is a collective impact approach. Um, I don't know in the history of uh, federal funding in the CARES Act uh, has such money been, been put to such good use. So I'm just so very proud that everything the university has done. Um, I, Dr. Bailey is actually growing enrollment uh, in, in, during the pandemic, in the summer and then in the fall. And um, so one thing I could ask is just to help us continue this positive momentum, because I think these times of crisis are a catalyst for innovation and opportunity. And I know this region is going to come out even flourishing, even with more opportunities. If you can help us with the digital divide, I know we can help educate more folks in both pre-K through 12, but also in higher ed. But it will also impact our telemedicine and telehealth and healthcare access. So everything you've done on telemedicine has been greatly appreciated. So it's just a great, uh, I just, I'm just, as I listen to everybody around the table, wow. I mean, it's, it's amazing how everybody's come together to solve problems for our, for our beloved people here in South Texas. And so thank you for all the time and effort you put down in, in, in getting to know us. And it is a family, and we appreciate your support so much. And so thanks for being here. And uh, just take back a lot of pride with, with you know, when you go back to D.C. And, 
solve, keep solving the problems for us because you're the one, only one out there doing it, it seems. Well, let me just uh, express my gratitude to each one of you for being here. Um, my main purpose for being here is to listen and to find out what, uh, what I can do to help. Ordinarily, I tell people the most fear, fearsome words in the English language are, I'm from the federal government and I'm here to help. But in this case, we actually, I think, as you can see, have produced uh, quite a bit of financial resources and, uh, and support. And General, I just want to say uh, thank you for your service, the service of all our men and women in uniform, National Guard, active duty as well. I happened to be on an, uh, with Governor Abbott and Vice President Pence, I guess it was about six weeks ago, it seems like two years ago, but I think it was only six weeks ago, where Vice President Pence said, whatever you need, we're going to get it to you. And the next thing I knew after talking to Judge Cortez and others in the Valley and see the hospitals filled up and, and the, the frontline healthcare personnel just totally exhausted needing those, uh, those reinforcements, uh, they came. And thank you and, and all of your fellow service members for doing that. And we will fight to make sure that uh, they aren't withdrawn until we're uh, in, in a manageable situation. So thank you for, for having me and we'll stay in this fight together. At the end of the roundtable, Senator Cornyn held a press conference to take questions from Rio Grande Valley electronic and print media representatives. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Eddie Trevinga, and I'm proud to serve as Cameron County Judge. I was asked by the senator's staff to introduce him this afternoon, and I said, hey, Anna, can you send me his, uh, his bio? She said, oh, come on, Judge, you, you, know, him, you know him well enough. Just, just, just put something together. She shouldn't have done that because I got on the internet <clears throat> and I got some interesting facts about our senator, which I think are, are, are very appropriate. <laughs> senator Cornyn was born in the last century in Houston. His father was a B-17 pilot who unfortunately was shot down in his 26th mission. He served four months in a German prisoner of war camp, went to college on the GI Bill, and later became an Air Force dentist and retired as a colonel. Because Senator Cornyn's father was in the military, they traveled a good deal all over the country, all over the world, all the way to Tachikawa, Japan. Did I say that right, Senator? All right. Get this, while his family was stationed in Japan, Senator Cornyn had the opportunity to climb Mount Fuji. But more importantly, while attending high school, he wrestled, not sumo, <laughs> but Greco-Roman. He also threw the discus and the shot put for his track and field team. He played the trombone. We knew he had an artistic side to him. He was an outstanding intramural athlete in college. And uh, he worked in one of my most favorite places ever as a waiter at Steak and Ale. <laughs> he met his wife, he's met his future wife, Sandy, on a blind date at the age of 25. They married and have now been married for 40 years. 40 years. They have two daughters. He first was asked to run for elected office back in 1984 at the age of 32, which, by the way, he looks exactly the same way now as he did back then. At a Super Bowl party, they asked him to run for an open district judge seat in Bear County. He said he looked the part. He was young, but he already had the white hair. Served as district judge, then first elected to the Texas Supreme Court and re in 1990 and re-elected in 1996. In 2002, Senator Cornyn was elected our United States Senator. It's with great honor to welcome him back home to South Texas. Senator Cornyn. Thanks, 
Well, Judge Trevino, remind me to take that page down off of, the, uh, <laughs> off of our website. No, in all seriousness, it's, uh, it's great to be here. I'm happy to answer uh, some questions. If I don't know the answer, we've got some great... There are two step-down facilities that have opened, one in Harlingen and one in McAllen, the conversion of the McAllen Convention Center. However, as I understand it, there's only five people in McAllen, and I'm not sure the number at the Casa de Amistad in Harlingen. Could you um, explain why the numbers are low, and also with the doctors here, perhaps could they explain, are the parameters for transfer of patients too hard to meet? Is there a lack of ambulance care? What is happening? Why aren't patients going? And is that a good utilization of federal CARES Act funds? Well, let me start. Um, as I understand it, and I'll be corrected by the experts here, but the big concern with the spike in cases was the possibility that we'd overrun the, the hospital facilities, particularly the ICU beds, the number of ventilators and the like. And so while we worked to bend that curve, uh, whether there's a possibility that there would be, need to be additional surge facilities built is what those facilities were for. And uh, the, the fact that they are not widely needed is actually a good news story. Yeah. Right, Dr. Martinez? Yeah. And, uh, but they're there if, we did, if, if they were needed. I, I don't, would you want to say something about that? Yeah. I, I think the senator hit I, the nail on the head. Okay, I got that yeah. one right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good, good. So the same thing happened, you may recall Governor Cuomo in New York, they sent a hospital ship up there to provide additional beds and facilities, they built temporary health uh, medical facilities, but they actually didn't need them, uh, even amidst probably one of the worst uh, outbreaks in the country. Yes, sir. Dr. Pettis just, Pettis just brought up the fact we have a digital divide, it's a big problem here. Mm -hmm. Our Judge Torino also mentioned that he's concerned about it in some areas of his county, and also in Richard Cortez County, only 25% of the people, especially in Colonians, even have the ability mm -hmm. to get in and out. On that basis, I'm working with Cornelio Gonzalez, who's head of the Education Service Center, and trying to put public education, television, and radio back on the air so we can have that in the classroom. If these communities and these little, little these colonial homes, these families need to get it off their rabbit ears if we're going to get any education potentially. What can you do to help? We've talked to you about this already, and I'll be working yeah. down there and see yeah. it any way I can. Well, we've been talking about the digital divide uh, for a long time, and unfortunately, this has revealed how, how far we have to go. And I've talked to a number of, number of folks standing up here about this. There's a number of reasons, but, you know, and I'll go into in just a second, but, you know, this is not just a convenience anymore when our children have to learn online or else they won't learn at all. Uh, Dr. Perez mentioned uh, telehealth. Uh, has been a, really a, one of the best parts of this uh, pandemic is the realization that, that we can get more, two more people, uh, provide them access to health care using telehealth, but you can't do that without, without broadband. Congress has appropriated literally billions of dollars to try to solve this problem, but frankly, during the pandemic, some of it has been things like hotspots uh, and laptop computers. Not every parent is as well prepared as, uh, as uh, to, to teach, to uh, have their children learn at home. So I, I have confidence that uh, Dr. Cavazos and the folks here in the school district are working with the, with the health care providers with the, uh, uh, to, to, to implement the protective measures that are needed to ultimately transition back to in-person learning. But in the meantime, you're right. 
uh, access to uh, broadband is absolutely essential. Uh, we've appropriated billions of dollars for the Federal Communications Commission, but as I understand it, the biggest problem is, is really the last mile. Uh, you can have these uh, AT&T, you can have all the large internet providers provide the internet, but if they don't have the wire into the individual home, whether it be in the colonias or elsewhere, then you're just not going to be able to deliver it. So you've identified a huge problem. We are doing everything we can to try to figure it out and in particular uh, provide resources here at the local level. So in this emergency, um, children won't fail to have an opportunity to learn uh, in, this, uh, in this pandemic. Yes, ma'am. Hi, sir. I'm from Telemundo, and sorry for my Britannic English, but I'm trying to do my best. You're doing great. First of all, do you hear about the FEMA, the program from uh, Willacy County about FEMA? You hear about the uh, Cameron County program about the census. About these two problems, what is your next take when you go to back to Washington? Well, I think uh, we heard about the formula by which assistance was provided, and, and there are, they are shared programs, usually require some sh uh, shared payment by the local government, but not all local governments can do that in order to qualify for the federal reimbursement. So I, I will take that, uh, take that back with me. Um, the other issue was census. Um, well, I believe that every person ought to be counted. And the fact that, as Judge Trevino said, we're so far behind is, should be a cause of concern uh, for everyone. There's two main purposes for the census. One is to determine how congressional seats lines should be drawn because they're based on roughly equal population. The other is to get access to financial support from the federal government. So I think it, uh, it needs to be, uh, everybody needs to be counted and um, but I expect, like so many of these other issues, there's, there's going to be litigation, and it ultimately be decided in the courts. Yes, sir. Senator Cornyn, uh, you just met with uh, President Trump and Secretary Azar, and uh, I want and to discuss the coronavirus response plan. What is the national coronavirus response plan? I mean, it's some details of what you spoke. Well, it is a it is a uh, it's a multifaceted plan and most of what the federal government does is provide financial resources, money and expertise and support to local governments um, that, that need uh, to surge their capacity to deal with hot spots like we've had in the Rio Grande Valley. But I think some people expect there to be a single plan uh, that covers all 330 million Americans, but we're a big diverse country. Power is distributed to the governors and to local officials and I think that makes us a lot more nimble, a lot more responsive, because we're not all the same. The country is not just one, one size does not fit all. So I know there are a lot of people like uh, that, that uh, want to uh, second guess and want to criticize. I think there'll be plenty of time for all that later. Right now, we have a pandemic we need to deal with. And as a number of the speakers here pointed out, we need to save lives. We need to get people back safely to work and to school. And uh, we need to uh, learn to live with this virus until a vaccine is, is found. But even then, even with the seasonal flu, for example, vaccines may only be 60% uh, or so effective. And so this is, uh, this is an adjustment for all of us. But as we heard from some of the 
hospital uh, administrators here. What we all need to do is to learn to follow the best practices. I think Manny Vela was talking about. We know what to do. Wash your hands, maintain social distance, wear masks when you can't stay home if you're sick. That's pretty easy to remember. If I can remember, you can remember. One last question. Yes, sir. You remember children earlier, I mean, a lot of the pleas from doctors and health officials, uh, local government officials was the scare of children potentially being forced to go back to school. I mean, what's the message to the children when it comes to that? Well, like, like, the, uh, like I mentioned a moment ago, I don't think those decisions ought to be made in Washington, D.C. We ought to be supporting uh, local school districts, but you have great leaders here um, who can talk to parents, talk to the health care providers, figure out what sort of accommodations need to be made. Um, and it sounds to me like those discussions are ongoing. But I know this is a, a particular point, it's sort of a, an inflection point of anxiety because this is a whole new... This is a whole new chapter in dealing with this pandemic, but we will get through this. Our children need to learn. They need to be safe first, but they, need, they, they can do both, I believe. Uh, but that's a decision needs to be made at the local level by parents, healthcare providers, and uh, school district officials. Thank you. Stay informed about the latest COVID-19 news with the Rio Grande Guardian International News Service.